Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time yet again, broadcasting almost live from a TCBY in Fargo. It's Tavern Voices, the first and only podcast dedicated to unfiltered North Carolina news. I'm your host, Kevin King, and with me, as always, is our other host and talk radio guru himself, Tyler Crawley. How's it going? It's good. It's good. And I like the guru. I like that. That makes me sound a lot smarter. It makes me sound like I know a lot more than I actually do. So uh, I'm a big fan of the guru. I feel like I should like have some wisdom when you're calling me the guru. Like I should have some tips. I have nothing. But next time um, I will prepare something as the guru that I am. But I do have one thing. I do have one thing. And that is Tom Tillis our esteemed junior senator here in North Carolina. He is up for re-election in 2020, and he has drawn a primary challenger. And I have to say I am not surprised by this. Uh, Tillis has always been sort of uh, on the border of getting support from the grassroots sort of conservative Republican movement, always looked at as more of a GOPE, if you will. And so he has uh, got a new challenger. Challenger's name is Garland Tucker III, who, by the way, does not sound very grassroots. That guy sounds more establishment than Tom Tillis. So I'm a little surprised by that. He's the retired chairman and CEO of Triangle Capital Corporation, another very established sounding uh, uh, accolade to his resume. And he has filed paperwork with the Federal Elections Committee to run in the Republican primary. And uh, he is challenging... Tillis, not surprisingly, from the right, questioning his uh, Trump supporting credentials. As we all remember, uh, Tillis filed or wrote that op-ed saying he was going to challenge the executive order, which then he ended up flipping the vote after hearing from the grassroots. Tillis has responded by saying that he's a big Trump supporter and Garland is the person who is not a supporter of Trump. Kevin, in your opinion, who is going to win the Trump primary in North Carolina? Is that really what it's come down to? Is that <laughs> is that the hill that the GOP is Trump going to more. die on? <laughs> That's where it's we are, the dude. Isle of Trump will be the deserted island of the fallen GOP. That's where that's where that battle is going to end. I mean, this is the reality, though. I mean, we can laugh about it, but it really is going he's going to get a lot of support in the primary on saying who's more Trump, because Trump is going to stay popular with the base of the GOP. I mean, there's a reason that Trump swept the primaries against long established candidates. So which side are you on? Are you are you a Jeb supporter? Are you a Trump supporter? Right. Isn't that going to be the uh, the discussion? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's going to be a low energy Jeb. Or are you high energy young man Donald Trump? That's going to be the big question. But what I mean, that Trump is the most popular Republican president ever. I mean, at least according to the polling data, he has, I think, 90 percent approval from Republicans. And so, yeah, I mean, you cannot win a Republican primary if you are not a supporter of Trump. It just it, it can't happen. And, yeah, I mean, we've seen the Never Trump movement pretty much died <laughs> in the Republican Party. There's there's no one left. In fact, it's gotten so bad that some of the Never Trump Republicans basically turn into liberals. And so, yeah, it's a very small fraction of Republicans who don't like Trump. And I mean, that's always kind of the way it is. But now it's I, I mean, I hate to say it this way because people are going to say, oh, it's because Tyler's a Trump hater. 
But I mean, it's almost like a cult. <laughs> like, I mean, some of the posts that I've seen talking about how God, you know, how Trump you know, was picked by God and and uh, you know, Michelle Bachman said he was the most biblical president that she's ever seen in her lifetime. And and it's like, listen, I get it. You like Trump. I mean, I understand that. But yeah, I mean, it, that's where it is. And it's very similar to the way that it was. I mean, you couldn't be a Democrat and criticize Obama. And so, yeah, if if Tillis wants to win and he's going to have a hard time because Trump people think that he's full of it. And even though he did flip that vote at the end, people still remember that op ed. And so I think Tillis is I think Tillis is going to have a battle, a battle on his hands. See, I disagree. And this is coming from someone who was on the front lines of Tillis's original uh, primary yeah. Uh, battle back in 2014. I saw it. He got 40, the 42, 3% of the vote he needed, whatever, in a very heavily publicized and grueling primary where he beat out Greg Brannon, who I think is 26, 7%, something like that, if memory mm-hmm. serves me. Uh, Mark Harris had in the low teens, I think, 13, 12, somewhere in there. Um, and I, as you see, I mean, Harris made a couple of other big runs until uh, he made some poor decisions. <laughs> but if, if Tillis can make it through in that kind of field, I don't see um, I just don't see that changing next year, especially with the fact that just like we have in District three right now and in District nine, there's going to be another handful of people that jump into that race. It is not going to be just. Tillis versus uh, Tucker. It's going to be a much, much thicker field. Um, And he's an incumbent. He hasn't done a bad job. There's a lot of stuff I could say that, you know what, he did a good job on. He's always been principled in a different way than myself and people on the constitutional sort of real conservatarian side of things. We don't see eye to eye with Tom Tillis, never have. But there's not enough people that care about that right now, right? And those people aren't all aren't in line either with Trump, because if you're a constitutional conservative, you can't support Trump. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, no. He's out there swinging the, the pin around just like Obama did signing executive orders and doing what he wants to. So you can't say that you're, you're a constitutional conservative and you've got to be pro Trump to be constitutional. Oh, Those don't line up. You can do that. There are a lot of things that <laughs> I never thought you'd have, you know, evangelical pictures taking pictures in Trump's office next to Playboy magazine, but trust me, anything goes nowadays. But here's the other and I, and I get your point about Tillis in the primary and you know, he was able to but Trump just changes so much. And it's really going to come down to who is who is the more Trump. But here here here's a quote from Tucker, who wrote this back in 2016. This is going to come back to haunt him. Uh, This was, I believe, a column in the News and Observer saying, as a conservative and a lifelong Republican, I stoutly resisted Trump's nomination. First, I was for Scott Walker, then Rubio, then Cruz, and finally Kasich. Oh, he's done. Hence, my conscience is clear. I am in no way responsible for Trump as the nominee. But alas... However, we got to this point and whatever it means for the future, I'm left with the decision of Trump versus Clinton. Tillis is going to he's going to blow that up and put it on a billboard in every single uh, major Republican area. So, I mean, yeah, here's that you have two people who are both clearly not the biggest fans of Trump trying to make themselves out to be the most Trumpian. And I think that could be the most entertaining part of 2020. Yeah, no, I mean, it absolutely will be. And. This is once again a great example of how the digital age is not being kind to politicians. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget what you write, what you say on the record, what has been recorded will be found and will be used against you in the public court of law. 
And we, we need some new Miranda rights for politicians. <laughs> you have the right not to do a podcast. You have the right to not write an op-ed. <laughs> Gosh, just imagine the countless footage of all of these politicians on shows like Glenn Beck or something where they've been hard in one direction and then flip around on a, on a subject because, I mean, even these hosts have changed their tune. Oh, including Glenn Beck, as you mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's, that's where I'm at. And you know who else I wish would change their tune, Tyler? Who's Those that? Those marching teachers. Because here's the thing. I really do sympathize with the teaching profession. I have looked at it long and hard. I've known a lot of teachers. It's something I could not personally do. And I don't I don't diss or throw stones at anything that I personally would not do. But as we talked about last week, this whole movement has really turned into something that's not truly about improving education. Um, I think that you probably saw a lot of the sim- uh, similar tweets that I saw from last week where there were people down there holding signs about immigration and police brutality and all of these things that had absolutely nothing in the world to do with education. And if things couldn't get any worse, what you have now is an article on the News and Observer that is a, a PolitiFact North Carolina report that challenges a lot of the statements that were made during the teacher march last week, uh, talking about specifically the first thing they bring up is a Facebook ad that was run by Progress NC and the NCAE that said, quote, politicians in Raleigh have done almost nothing to reverse the long term cuts to our public schools. Well, the article goes on and says, actually, you can't honestly say that because they have done a lot to improve the funding. Uh, and this article goes through several different things, and that will be in the show notes. But Tyler, I want to ask you, what do you think about when the News and Observer isn't even on your side? Yeah, I know. <laughs> the Star News actually uh, was somewhat critical of the Teachers March, especially because down here on the coast, Hurricane Florence I think a couple of the school districts, Brunswick County, missed like a month of school. And so the fact that they were going to close school for a teacher's march, even the Star News was like, uh, I don't know if we're – this kind of looks a little bad here. And yeah, I mean the, the, the I think this was a very bad march. I think the PR was bad. I think you had the fake photos being released by uh, Mark Jewell. I think you had I – mean, it just – it wasn't good. It, 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 it wasn't good at all for the, the teachers. And so to have, you know, everyone come out against and not really against, but just sort of questioning it. I don't think we have a third one. I don't think there's there's going to be a third March because the, the first one was very good. I think from a PR and everything else. Second one, this last second one, I just don't think had the same connection. I think you had fewer teachers involved, uh, way more Democrat talking points. And so because of that, I don't know if if I'm the NEA and I'm looking at this thing, I'm mm, maybe we don't have a a third one. Uh, I just don't think this one was anywhere near uh, as overwhelmingly supported as the one prior to it and all the bad PR with the fake photos and everything else. So I, I, I think this this just could be the last teacher's march that we have for a while. I think it definitely was damaged. I mean, the, the reputation was damaged. A couple other points that they, they have in this article uh, is that there was a little handout that some people were passing around. It gave North Carolina an F on the report card and called them 40, uh, 34th in teacher pay when actually – even the NEA reported that it's up to 29th. So we keep making these charges um, and, 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 and it's increasing year after year with these tax um, 
um, I'm sorry, in, in increases in the budget to increase teacher pay. Um, there was another one here as well where they had that they were passing out a flyer and they were, so they were challenging something that the Republicans were actually passing out um, and said that it had the 2013 salary and was comparing it to what it would be under the quote Democrat plan. They debunked this by saying, well, obviously Republicans were in control in 13, but I think they missed the point of the poster saying, no, your salary was on the trajectory to be this based on once we changed the budget in 2013, here's now where you sit, right? That, that was the point. So I, I criticize them a little bit on that that point of the, you know, just a little, little something they could probably look into a little bit more. But <laughs> overall, this is pretty bad. I mean, I think when you read this article and that this is mainstream on the cover of the News and Observer, it's going to, um, I, I think it's going to tarnish the reputation a little bit. And you hate to see that because it didn't have to be this way. Right, Tyler, we could have continued education reform, but instead then it became a uh, Saul Alinsky left moral Monday takeover uh, wearing red socialist May Day thing. And now we're like, holy cow, that cat's so far out of the bag. You're not going to reel that in whatsoever. Yes, it it, I I got away from um, I mean, you had pictures of socialist worker party tables handing out info. One dude was walking around with a shirt that said F the police. I mean, I know you can't stop the people that show up, so there's always going to be crazies there. But it just seemed like they were more welcoming of the crazies and there just weren't as many. So the crazies maybe stuck out more. There was one that said, get the police and ICE out of our schools, which is kind of crazy because one of the big funding things that I, you know, I've talked about down here with the county commissioners is funding for resource officers, you know, because people are always concerned, uh, you know, whenever a school shooting happens, you know, what, what is our reaction? You know, what, what is, what is the, the plan to deal with that? And it's always been a presence. And so parents want teachers at school. So the teachers are out there marching for the police out of the schools. That's just like an insane uh, argument to be making. And yeah, it just, it just, it, you know, the Medicare for all thing, or not Medicare for all, was it Medicaid expansion? It's just a bad look. It just looked like they were just, they were just parroting Democrat talking points. And it just made them look very, very, especially with all the raises they, they've been getting. I mean, when you actually look at those numbers on that website, the superintendent just recently uh, made available. I mean, we're talking about the average teacher. If you break down all the numbers, not even including the raise that, that's, that, that was announced before the teacher's march, the average teacher with benefits, time off, everything else is making like $78,000 a year. And the median household income, household income in North Carolina is $52,000, which means there are a lot of people in North Carolina who when they see the teachers are making like 78 grand. They're going, um, yeah, I don't feel that bad for you anymore. And I think they're going to start to see some backlash as that wage gets higher and higher. Because, listen, everyone wants more money. And if, if you know if everyone could protest for more money, we'd probably all do it. But at some point, you're going to start losing the support of people because you're going to start making so much more money than they are that they're going to be like, listen, I don't really support this anymore. <laughs> you're making $20,000 more than I am, and I'm working – 12, you know, months out of the year. And so it, I, I just think it's starting to backfire. And yeah. I don't think, and I think that's sort of that, that. I think that's something that they maybe start starting to realize with some of these publications sort of highlighting this. Yeah. And let me, I just want to cite that number straight out of the article, the last point on this story, but you're dead on because um, DPI sent out an email. Um, so this is the department of public instruction put out that the median salary for 17, 18 was 49,600 but will be 54,000 next year in the 18, 19 school year. Um, so I'm sorry, that would be this year. Yeah. And 
50320 is cited as the median household income. So you have the median teacher salary meeting at the median household salary. I just want to I just want to hit that home. Think about yeah. that. Households that doesn't include benefits. Make, right. That's that's not a defined pension plan. So yeah, so you throw that in. So I mean, just you know, if if there, if there are no benefits, the a, a a teacher is making more money than a household, the median household in North Carolina. Then you add benefits, and I mean, I did the math on this, and and if, if a teacher worked a, a job similar to what they do during the year, during their two or three months that they're off, and uh, made the same amount of money, I mean, they're they're getting close to a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> and it's like, listen, okay, maybe teachers should make a hundred thousand dollars, but you know, this I and this is what drives me crazy is when they when they when they uh, they claim poverty and they're like, oh yeah, it's, we're it's, we're impoverished, we can't afford this stuff. I'm like, you guys are making more money than a household in North Carolina, and people that make that money and are affording these things that you're saying you can't afford, and they got to pay for their own health insurance, people are going to stop uh, buying what they're selling. And that's going to be a bad, bad, bad time for teachers. I will say that much. Now, speaking of money, speaking of money, I do want to talk about a story that is broke, that that is breaking while we're doing this podcast. I think it broke maybe a couple hours earlier, uh, but it's starting to make its rounds on Twitter. The North Carolina tax collections. Now, we know that we've run surpluses in North Carolina before. This is nothing new, but this number might surprise some of the listeners. The legislature's chief economist told lawmakers on Monday the state may collect over $700 million above what budget writers projected when they approved the current year spending plan. That's a 3% increase. So they are looking at a $700 million surplus. That is insane. (laughs) That's the surplus that they're going to run. How the Republicans could ever lose another election. I mean, we're paying teachers more money than we've ever paid them. We have balanced the budget. We have billions of dollars in trust funds across the state. The economy is booming. Housing prices are booming. And now we're going to have a $700 million surplus while we cut taxes. Seriously, the Republicans should never lose an election ever again. Kevin, do you agree? <laughs> you would think they wouldn't have lost last year. I mean, I this know. is the trajectory <laughs> that we have been on for years now. I mean, we've had consistent surpluses. We have paid off the debts. We have the rainy day fund. We have teacher pay increases. We have uh, highway patrolling pay increases. We've done all kinds of uh, first responder and other you know police raises. Um Improvements to the prison system. There's an article now about DOT salaries that is catching some flat. But everything has – the ship and the course that we were on has been righted. There is no way to to argue that from a fiscal perspective, right? Yeah. But yet everyone focused on Medicaid expansion and the fictional teacher plight and destroyed an entire election based on – Based on bad, bad math, Tyler, bad, bad math. People, people, you're in trouble. (laughs) Well, I do also think and it was interesting because I was I was actually having this discussion this morning on my radio show is that in my opinion, there's only one reason why someone like Michael Lee, who represents me down here in the ninth district, who is a pretty good Republican, you know, not too far one way. I I wouldn't call him a moderate, but I wouldn't call him like a, you know, rabid conservative. I think he's perfect for this district. And he lost. 
And this is someone who advocated for things that, you know, maybe some other conservatives would get flack for like film incentives. And, and, um, you know, that, that was a big issue that, you know, some conservatives weren't happy about and he lost. And it was a, it was a very close race. I mean, I think it was like a hundred votes. Um, it was crazy close race, but the reason he lost, I think it was because of national politics. I think the Democrats were, were motivated. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it were almost like, we're kind of in the same time period as the Tip O'Neill, all politics are local, except it's like all local politics are national in a way where people show up and vote in local elections, but they're not voting for the actual person. They're voting against who's in the White House. And I think that is something that Republicans may or may not have to deal with, depending on what's happening. Trump's approval numbers look pretty good today in a new Gallup poll. But yeah, I don't think there's any other reason why Michael Lee lost. I mean, he's the perfect candidate for that seat. And he lost because I think the Democrats were more, more motivated than Republicans. And I think that's 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 a very bizarre thing because there is nothing there is nothing <laughs> that would explain why Republicans lost any seats and these numbers continue to show that and yet they're worried about losing more, which leads me to believe that it's more national politics focused than local, and that's unfortunate because that's not why you should be voting for someone. <laughs> but that unfortunately, I think, is the reality. Well, and from an election perspective, what you have also that is difficult to deal with is the growing urban-rural divide where you see in a place like North Carolina, the red pockets are rural areas, independent thinking, agricultural, um, more conservative, family program, whatever you want to do, what you know, kind of however you want to classify it. And then you have these urban areas that are growing exponentially fast – with people who are from other areas, right? The triangle isn't growing from people from rural North Carolina. <laughs> They're coming from outside of the state. So you've got people with different beliefs who aren't experienced with local thing. I mean, if, if you think about this, the growth that you've seen in Mecklenburg and Wake County has been off the charts for the last 10 years, but really on a fast track for the last five. So if you've just moved here in the last five years and you've got young kids you're sending into schools and you don't think the schools are great because you came from some ritzy place, you know, around Maryland, like where you're from, Tyler. <laughs> and you um, and this is all you see. And you hear the narrative. The schools are underfunded. Um, the teachers aren't paid well. They buy into this hook, line and sinker. So you have that from people who don't know better. They, they don't have that length of knowledge of people like you and I who have been talking about this for a decade, much less not even lived in the state for a decade. And I think that's really what's hurting the political front for the Republicans is all of their good work isn't viewed by these mass uh, amounts of new voters who don't know what the state was like under Democrats. They don't know the names easily in Purdue. They just know what they see immediately and they think a knee jerk reaction needs to happen just to change it and fix it, not realizing what is under the surface. Yes. No. And I also think that the other big problem you run into is people are also in the impression that you know, North Carolina has been a Republican state for 150 years, you know, because yes, for the last 60 or 70 years, most of the national politicians have been Republican. But then again, not the congressional delegation. Congressional delegation was majority Democrat for a while, but senators you know, for the most part, have been Republican, except for a few blips here and there. Uh, the presidents, you know, presidential candidates won North Carolina. So people think that we're a Republican state. And we've always been, and especially people that have moved here. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Democrats had this state for 140 years <laughs> up until 2012 or I'm sorry, 2010. And it all changed. And it like blows people's minds because they think that this was this has been a Republican state. And, you know, we need change. I mean, I, it, it cracks me up when I see Democrats argue 
that we need to bring change and da 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 back to North Carolina. It's like, wait, wait, hold on. You, what you're arguing is you want to go back to the way things were 10 years ago. That's what you're arguing because you're going to hire like Cooper. Cooper got elected and hired all of Beverly, Purdue and Easley's people. He didn't hire anyone new. He didn't, he didn't branch out and find new people. He, he hired all the same people that ruined North Carolina you know, five years ago. And so it's amazing that not only do people not know what was happening before the Republicans took over, but they don't even know that the Republicans ever didn't have power. So, yeah, it, it, it really is amazing to t- when, you talk, when you tell people about this and they're like, really? So, that yes, that is a problem for the Republicans. Yeah, because they don't know that Democrats controlled it for 140 years. All they know is that Republicans have controlled it for 100 percent of five years. Yeah, yeah. That's all they know. Well, the last thing I wanted to get to is kind of all in the same wheelhouse, Tyler. Change. People are fighting change, even though everyone agrees that there are problems in public education. But yet nobody seems to be offering any solutions, at least from inside the education circle. And this is evident in an article, once again, from the News and Observer here, who was talking about uh, the backlash. A lot of people are fighting against new charter schools uh, coming into effect, hopefully, over the next year. They're talking about the 2020 year that Wake County alone could get five brand new charter schools. And that is that would be a total of 24 uh, charter schools that are open in Wake County right now. Um, Tyler, do you think that charter schools are really causing a problem? Because if you read this article, you would think that charter schools are just crippling our public schools, but yet people are flocking to them in droves. And these aren't privileged people. These are people of all different backgrounds who are seeking out a better education. And you're talking about Wake County that has the highest teacher pay in the entire state. So what's your unfiltered take on that? Well, I will say my favorite is when people argue that charter schools are bad and there's proof of that because, you know, X and X charter school closed down. And I said, no, actually, that's great. That's it wasn't working. So they got rid of it. And it was like, when's the last time a public school closed? (laughs) Never. I mean, they do happen every once in a while. But I mean, something really, really bad has to happen for a public school to close down. So I just don't think people I mean, first of all, when you ask parents, do they want school choice? It's overwhelmingly supported. So the problem is, is that what you have is really kind of this teacher march, what we were talking about earlier, it, it gives a false sense of perception on how popular charter schools are or aren't popular because, you know, teachers hate them. I mean, public school teachers don't like them because it's, you know, it, it has the potential of hurting the industry that they're in, even though I've argued this many a times, probably on this podcast as well, that actually students going to charter schools or going to uh, private schools using vouchers actually increases per pupil spending. And so they should be supporting that and it makes smaller class sizes. But yeah, it, it, it's a challenge. And let's face it, everyone loves competition until you get competition. And so what's happening right now is that teachers are, are they're being, you know, challenged. And no one likes that because they're always worried. Am I really as good as I think that I am? Is my school really as good as I think that it is? But what they have found is that when charter schools enter an area, the education uh, attainment levels go up for everyone. So the charter schools are better. The public schools are better. The private schools are better. And so it's a win-win for every single person involved. And you're going to hear people complaining about it because, you know, yes, charter schools operate different than private public schools. There is a lottery to get in. And they, they do, to some extent, get to pick and choose who goes to their school. 
And they say that that gives them you know, sort of an a unfair advantage. But the reality is that charter schools make the entire educational system better. And when they're not working, they get shut down and new ones form up. And that's the way any marketplace should work, even education. And I think the only people that are against it are teachers. And they have a very loud megaphone and they have a very good PR team. And they lead people to think it's much louder than it is. But if you ask people what they want, they want school choice. And it's going to continue in North Carolina, at least as long as Republicans are in power. You know, I was just thinking about Tyler because we've come up with some great TV show ideas on this podcast before. And I'm thinking, what if we did a new series, a reality show in North Carolina public schools, similar to like the Bachelor, Bachelorette idea, um, but instead, uh, maybe more like American Idol, where every year one teacher in that grade level has to be voted out. <laughs> right? Because isn't that always the argument that no teacher ever does poorly? That there's no that there are no bad teachers. There's no one who are bringing the averages down who aren't doing a good job. They say everyone is 100 percent doing what they need to be doing. So if the teachers themselves could like secret ballot and get one rid of one another, I think that'd be an awesome reality show. I'd watch. It would be a good reality show. I don't know if it would be the best policy. It, it's funny because I know you've seen that documentary, The Smartest Men in the Room, the Enron one, and they talked about how Enron had adopted this sort of corporate uh, corporate culture based off of this like this. I can't remember what it was. It's like some book or something, some guru guy. And he'd come up with this idea that every year they fired like 15% of the staff. And every year, I mean, it didn't matter if everyone was doing their job, the bottom 15% always got fired. They thought it created more like Darwinian society and everyone would be more hungry. And it wasn't really a good culture that it created. And so I'd be for it as long as that person deserved to get canned. I would worry it would be the teachers that are actually good uh, they'd get ganged up on by the teachers that suck and they'd vote them out. And so that's great on a reality show, but it's horrible for the education system because like all the crappy teachers would form an alliance and say all the hardworking teachers that are making us look bad, they're out of here. And that might not be the best thing for schools. But as a TV show, I would watch that. Yeah. And then maybe they go, maybe they don't get fired entirely. They get sent to a different school. In that area, yeah. so there's a constant rotation. What we should do is that that could be the plot twist: is that we tell them that whoever loses, so we go to like a a district that's like you know kind of a regular middle of the road district, middle class district, and we tell them that whoever loses has to go to like inner city school, and then it turns out the person that gets voted off actually goes to like the 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 uh, super rich suburban school, and so it's like that, that way we could see if the person that got voted out really should have been voted out, and that'll be the plot twist. Like actually, you're going to this great school where it's chauffeured cars, and it's the super rich district of North Carolina, so that could be the plot twist for season one. Yeah, except you just ruined it. Well, no one listens to this podcast, so we'll be good when we pitch it to the uh, the TV networks. <laughs> that was the worst thing you've ever said on here. So now I guess we just need to stop because no one's. I'll be like, I'll be like listen, look at listening. look at our distribution numbers. No one's listening. We're good. We didn't ruin anything. Or no, or, or we'll do the opposite. We'll tell them they're going to a super rich one, and then we actually send them to a poor one, and and then. I think they get the point now, is, Tyler. But now, I think now I understand I've, now the I've concept. confusion. So now they don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you cause confusion every single that's, episode. That's, that's, that's why my name begins with a C. It's because it, the alliteration works. Crawley confusion. <laughs> well. Wasn't that a philosopher? That note, Wasn't that a I'm philosopher? I'm going to end the confusion. confusion? Wasn't that a guy? <laughs>